tell you what, that song so undid me the last hour. Now I just feel like I'm running on empty. So uh, let's pray. See if the Lord can give me what we need to, to finish this time of worship. Father, we do pause and just give you praise for your faithfulness. How you've ministered, how you've provided, how you've led God in so many different lives over generation after generation after generation. God, you have, you have never, ever failed. God, I know we as individuals have failed. Lord, there's probably been times as a church that we haven't quite been maybe where you would have asked us to be. God, you've never failed. And you are worthy of our life. You're worthy of our worship. God, you are worthy of our following you wherever that might lead. Right now, God, we want to follow you into your word. We want to hear your voice. We want to know the direction that you have for our lives. Would you help us now, Holy Spirit? We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, as a pastor, uh, I get the opportunity, as you might imagine, to stand over dead bodies a whole lot more than the average person does. And I don't know how many times, lots of times over the course of of 20 years of ministry, I've been standing there with a, a grieving loved one. And said, you know, that's, that's not them. That, that's not the person that you, that you love and care so much about. That's just a shell. That was a, a temporary housing place. That person you love is, is with the Lord now. They're in His presence. And, and folks, that statement is absolutely, totally true. And that truth should guide how we grieve. That truth should guide how we deal with that loss. But you know what? As true as that is... It doesn't feel true, does it? When you're standing over that loved one that has gone on to be with the Lord, man, that that body, that's the only way you knew how to relate with them. That that body is who they were to you. That body is all we know how to relate with that person. You know, I think what is true there is, is very same for a church. You know, there is nothing in the New Testament that would say that the church is a building. The church is not these pews. It's, it's not this room or the old sanctuary or the sign out front. Uh, the Bible says that the church is you. It's, it's me. It's us. It's people. That is absolutely a true statement. The, the building, this is just an inanimate object by which we serve the Lord and His purposes. But you know, as true as that is pretty hard not to say the name Colonial Heights Baptist and think of this building. Pretty hard not to say the name of any church and think of the building that goes with it. The, the building identifies them, identifies us. It's, it's where we come together and, and all that we enjoy and experience in the Lord, all that happens in the Lord in our lives, a lot of it happens inside this room at this property. And so we identify this place this location as being where that happens. Yet today we come and come to say goodbye to that. You know, when I think of a a particular church name, you know, I've talked to you a lot about, about how I grew up at Second Baptist Houston. You know, when I say Second Baptist Houston, now what comes to my mind 
is not the church that comes to, gosh, thousands upon thousands of people's mind today. For over 20 years now, they've had a, a sanctuary and a facility that is really unparalleled anything in the United States. This sanctuary holds 8,500 people. They have three services every Sunday. On each side of the sanctuary, there is two six-story stained glass windows, and they're as wide as they are high. I mean, it is an incredible facility. And that's what people think of around Houston and Texas and really all over the United States when they think of Second Baptist Houston. But you know what? It's not what I think of. That, that, that's not at all what I think of when I think of that church. What I think of is, is this building right here. We got a, a picture of it. Quite a bit smaller. But that's the Second Baptist where I came to the Lord. My family came to the Lord. We were all baptized there. That's where our kind of our journey in faith began and developed and matured. Uh, Karen and I were married there. My, my sisters were married there. That's, that's what I think of. I'm not even going to show you the other picture. <laughs> that's what I think of when I think of Second Baptist Houston. In, inside this room, let's look inside there. That, that center's place right behind the choir there, that's where I was baptized. It's boarded up now. <laughs> that room's now kind of used as basically a school auditorium. They don't really use it for any church purposes anymore. But that's still, that, that's where I was baptized. And, and this next picture, you can see their little platform there. There's not a, a pulpit there anymore. Like I said, it's kind of a school auditorium, but you can see where the mic is. That spot right there is where I preached my first sermon at the age of 15. And, and that aisle, that center aisle there, and that's a very important aisle because that's the aisle my bride walked down to get to me. I'll always remember that aisle. As a matter of fact, when you go to the end of that aisle, all the way in, look at this next picture. You see, that's the last row on that aisle. That pew right there is very important to me. That's the spot where I asked Karen, December of 1986, to marry me. Now, it wasn't really my plan to ask her on the last row. What I wanted to do is we were, we were going to go to dinner, and on the way to dinner, I said, hey, why don't we stop at the church and pray? And so I had set it up. See, pray, you know, she's, she had a dress on and everything. So I said, why don't you just sit down and, and I'll just kneel. Pretty smart of me, wasn't it? <laughs> and so we were going to go up to the front and do that at the altar. So I got it all set up because it wasn't a, a church night or anything to go in there and get inside the church. There's just one thing I forgot to set up. How to turn the lights on. The place was pitch black. I found one thing, one, one light switch. I turned it on and it, it lit up the last row. So that's where we sat. <laughs> that's where we had to go. You know, it's interesting. When I think of Second I think of my whole life being in Second Baptist. Do you know I was only in that room, only at that church, from the age of about 13 to 21. About eight or nine years that I was an active member, an active attender of that church. But you know what? Eight or nine years, that's so short. But when I look back on that, I think of a lifetime of very significant memories that happened in that room right there. And the amazing to me is, nobody even thinks of that as Second Baptist anymore. There are literally tens of thousands of people, tens of thousands. Can you imagine that for a church? That when they think of Second Baptist, that's not the room they think of. And yet I think so much of my journey of faith, I identify with that room. There's another building in my Christian journey that's been very significant to me. You see this picture here, you should recognize that one. You know what, that building right there, that, that, that's where God began, use, began using me as a senior pastor. Now, I know that has a lot of sentimental value to me. I hope it has some to you, a little bit anyway. But I mean, sentimentally, personally, have nothing to do with ministry. That's just where it began. 
You know, this pulpit right here, this pulpit, not, not one down the street. I, man, I'm excited about getting that pulpit down the street. But that's not where I began my preaching ministry. That, that's not the pulpit. It was, it was this pulpit right here. And you know what? There's people all across this room that over the course of the last 5, 10, 15 years, there's all kinds of sentimental things in your journey with the Lord that, that has made this room, this location, this property a big part of how you identify your walk with God. Gosh, I say 5 or 10 or 15 years. There's some of you in here who have generations of memories here at this place. And we're coming today to, to say goodbye to that. We're, we're saying goodbye to this building being known. Because like I said, having seen it, have it having happened at, at Second Baptist, there will be a day when we say the name Colonial Heights Baptist. And you know what? Nobody will think of this building. This, this won't have that identification anymore. Well, when you stop, that's kind of sad, especially when you think of what's happened for you and, and for me in this room. That's sad. That, that, that brings grief. It brings a sense of loss. You know, I can't help but ask the question, man, when you're following Christ, is there supposed to be loss? Is there supposed to be grief? Is there supposed to be times of sadness? How do we deal with that? Why would we have to deal with that? Well, as always, as always, as always, as always, God's Word has the answer for us. God's Word guides and directs us in what we need in this exact moment. Would you turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 20? Acts chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, I hope you'll use one of ours there in the pew. There are still Bibles in the pew, aren't there? I, I mean, I'm telling you what, there's not much left in this building. It has started moving. Acts chapter 20. I'm going to read a couple of verses here, but what I am drawing from begins in about chapter 20, verse 17, and actually goes about halfway through chapter 21. And, and what this passage is doing is it's detailing for us Paul's journey. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be handed over to Rome. And it's going to begin the process of him being executed. And he knows that. He knows what's going to happen to him when he gets to Jerusalem. And so what we're reading is in that journey, he is meeting with different churches, with different people, with different disciples that basically mean a lot to him. When he thinks of his journey, when he thinks of his ministry with the Lord, his, his serving, these are the faces that come to mind. I mean, he's serving the Lord, make no mistake about it. But it's pretty hard when we're serving the Lord not to identify some faces, some buildings that go with that. And in this journey, he is saying goodbye. And they're saying goodbye to him. And, and boy, I think these passages give us a little bit of a peek into some of the most intimate, touching passages in the Bible. Let me read some of these. I want to begin in verse 22. Paul's writing here, or Paul's speaking here, and he says, And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, bound in my spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in town after town, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I count my life of no value to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel 
of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see my face again. Verse 36. After he said this, he knelt down and he prayed with all of them. There was a great deal of weeping by everyone and embracing Paul. They kissed him, grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they escorted him to the ship. Verse 1, after we tore ourselves away from them. Man, do you hear that? Do you hear that emotion, folks? Do you hear that, that passion? They loved Paul. Paul was such a big part of their Christian life. They had to tear themselves away. This hurts. It's sad. It grieves. Look at verse 13. Then Paul replied, and believe it or not, he's not referring to the people he was just talking to. This is another set of people. This is disciples in Caesarea. And then Paul replied, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. What heartfelt passages as people say goodbye. As they lose Something that is a very significant part of their walk with Christ. For Paul, he's losing the people that he ministered to, the people that came alongside and ministered with him. He's not going to see them anymore. When he thinks of following Christ, it's these churches, it's these faces, and he's not going to see them again. And guys, you, you hear the grief, the pain in these people. Man, they, when they think of Paul, that was, that was the one who led their mate to the Lord. That was the one their family was there. They got to sit under his preaching for, for two or three years and they learned so much. They, they grew so much. God became so real. And it was God, but it, it happened through Paul. And, and to imagine never seeing him again is, well, as you can read here, is almost more than they can bear. They have to tear, tear themselves away. Gosh, is there supposed to be this kind of sadness and loss? How do we deal with this? Why do we deal with it? Well, in this passage that we've just read, we, we see answers to both of those questions. We get some guiding principles for, I've said this, for, for saying goodbye to significant God memories. Now, when I say saying goodbye, I mean, folks, when we walk out of this room today, it's not like our mind is wiped clean. We'll never even remember what color the carpet was in here. We'll never remember what happened in our... No, we'll remember. But you know what? I mean, let's, let's just... This is the hard part. We lose the opportunity to walk through these doors and remember. We lose the opportunity to walk through these doors and physically see and visualize and remember that conversation that happened over there, that person that prayed for me back there, the, the baptism, the baby dedication, the wedding, the funeral. We won't walk in and see that. We're saying goodbye to that. How do we do that? On this passage, we see a very significant principle. First of all, folks, we focus on God's call. Look again at chapter 20, verse uh, 23. Chapter 20, verse 23. It says, except that in town after town, the Holy Spirit testifies. The Holy Spirit is telling me what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is directing where I'm going. I didn't read these verses, but look in chapter 21, verse 10. It says, while we were staying there many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us. He took Paul's belt... 
tied his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the Gentile hands. When we heard this, both we and the local people begged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Folks, Paul was not going to Jerusalem because it was fun. He wasn't going there because it's what he wanted. He's not going there because it felt good. He was going to Jerusalem because it's what God called him to do. He had no choice but to go. As these people let go, and it was hard letting go, we begged. We had to be torn. It was hard to let go. But they let go because it was God's call. They did what they had to do because they were focused on the call of God in their lives. Now, you know, in this passage, that's easy to see. The Holy Spirit testified. The Holy Spirit said. A, a prophet came up and revealed. But, but are we called? Are we called to take on the sadness of leaving this place and going to a new place? Are we called to do that? Some might say, well, gosh, it's a little late to be asking that question, isn't it? You know what, folks? It is never... It is never too late to say, God, am I where I'm supposed to be? Am I going in the direction that you would have me to be going, even when it doesn't feel good, even when it hurts? Well, how do we answer that question, though? How, how do we, I mean, do, we don't have a prophet that said, you know, you're to go down there or up there. Well, folks, I look back over the course of the last four years and I start seeing things that can only be explained by God. For instance, when I think over the last four years, I think of the energy, I think of the unity, I think of the excitement by which this church family has taken on this move, has taken on this project. You say, well, that, that just means we all agreed. We're all excited about it. Folks, let me tell you something. This kind of project has split more churches than it has grown. There have been more churches embroiled in business meetings forever over this kind of thing than have come together and said, let's go get it for God. Folks, what we've seen happen here is not at all natural. It is supernatural. It's not an issue of our personality or our character. It's an issue of what God has put in our hearts and sewn us together to be and to do. Folks, when we came into this project, we had to sell our building immediately. We really could not begin to, to unfold what God wanted to do with that property and, and move any direction to it until we knew this place was taken care of. There's just one problem. In the United States of America, the average church takes 10 years to sell. If you'll notice, churches don't sell a whole bunch. 10 years took us less than a year to sell this building. How does that happen? When we sold this building, we needed to be, I say needed to be, we had to be debt-free. The average church, national sales of church average in the United States when a church sells is 30% of its value. We sold for 80% of the value of our church, wiping out all of our debt. Meaning no debt here, we owned the property down there. How does that happen? You know, we had to bring up that immediate sell thing. We had two conflicting prayer requests for God. On the one hand, we had to sell right now. We, I mean, there's just no way we could move forward with this building still apart. We had to sell our building. We had to become debt-free. But at the same time, we've got nowhere to go. And we're not going to have anywhere to go for two, three, four years. That's what we were saying in 2004. That's four years ago. 
So Lord, we need to sell our building today, but we need the buyer let us keep it for like a long time. That's a contradictory prayer request. You can't sell it today and keep it. Folks, where are we having service today? See, that's what God did. Folks, you can't explain these things. This isn't, you know, things worked out, you know, the circumstances were good. We all, you can't explain it that way. If you're going to give credit to anything other than God, don't, don't, give, don't do that standing next to me. This is what God has done in our fellowship. And folks, to begin to unfold, to begin to catalog what has happened down there as we have built, how God has given us favor on issue after issue. I can't think of one thing. And folks, there are millions of decisions that have gone into getting us to the state that we are right now. I can't think of one place, one thing, one decision that didn't work out. I can't think of one place where it did not land in our favor. Do you remember the faith it took for us to step out and to buy that property? Two and a half million dollars, $52,000 an acre. You know what acreage is going for around there right now? Twice as much. We just got ahead of that. I wonder if God knew. I wonder when we, you know, when we went down there, you know two things that weren't even on the radar when we bought that property? What was going to happen at Fort Lee? And what's happening down at the end of Harrogate Road where they're going to open up a little development with like, oh, say, 5,000 homes. I wonder if God knew that. You see, God, we're stepping out of faith. Don't even know what's going to happen, but God does. Two years ago, we went into a a loan set up. We do not know how are we going to, if we we get the loan, the interest rate we're expecting, we're looking at about $135,000 a month in a mortgage payment. God, there's no way. We, we, we can't do that. But God called. We stepped out in faith. And I don't want to give too much information here and get ahead of myself because we have not closed on the loan. There are issues and details to take care of. But folks, right now, it's looking like we are so far under budget and the interest rate has dropped so much, our monthly mortgage could be well under $100,000. We could be saving well over half a million dollars a year. Now, we stepped out in faith two years ago not knowing how it's going to work, but God knew. And God's providing. Folks, when God calls, we must go. And when we focus on that call, look at the resolve. Look at the commitment it gives in your life. Paul says here, I am ready to be bound. I am ready to die. Folks, how many people around in your life have that kind of resolve, that kind of commitment no matter what? That's living life on purpose. That's living a life that makes a difference, that has an impact, and that's what this church has said. We are here to be and to do, to have an impact. And it comes when we focus on what God has called us to do. And folks, we're going down there for one reason. God put us down there. Because God has a call on this church family that requires, I can't explain why, but it requires that property and it requires that facility. We follow God's call. Sometimes it's not comfortable. Sometimes it hurts. Why, God? Well, Paul answers the question, why, for us here in verse 13. I'm ready to be bound. I'm ready to die. Why? For the name of the Lord. For the name of the Lord, I'm ready to be bound. For the name of the Lord, I'm ready to die. For the name of the Lord, we will let him go. For the name of the Lord. Folks, that that for the name of the Lord has, has two biblical ideas. Neither one that I have the time to develop today. But just to say real quickly, 
When Paul is saying for the name of the Lord, first of all, he means for Jesus' glory in worship. If my being bound, if my being imprisoned, if my dying brings more people to becoming true worshipers of the living God, then so be it. Then so be it. If it brings more people to sing the glory and the greatness of God, then so be it. For the name of the Lord, I'll take on that suffering. And for the name of the Lord also has almost a, a military idea to it. You have to almost see a military advancing. When he says for the name of the Lord, he is saying for the advancement of Jesus' rule and reign. If my suffering, if my taking on God's call brings pain, but it leads more people to have his rule and reign in their lives, then so be it. Oh, I want to see Jesus reign and rule in my life, in my family, in my church. I want to see that rule and reign advance in our community and in our world. Whatever the cost be for me, Lord Jesus, let it be so that your rule and reign may advance. They were willing, Paul was willing to be bound and to die. They were willing to let Paul go. Are we willing? Now, praise the Lord, right now we're not being called to be bound. We're not called to be die. But we may be called to lay down what this place means to us. We may be being called to not have this be the building where so many significant things have happened for us, where this will be the building that's no longer known as Colonial Heights Baptist. Can we lay that down for the name of the Lord? You know, folks, when I think about what God calls a church to be and to do in the life of an individual, in the life of a family... When I think about what the Bible calls us to be and to do for one another in a sense of ministry and prayer and encouragement, clearly God anticipates that we're going to significantly touch each other. And that a lot of that is going to happen inside this room, on this property, in different locations. And when something is that significant, it leaves a precious precious memory in our lives. For the name of the Lord, will we lay that memory down in here? You know what I need? I need the resolve of Paul. I, I, I need to come down to this altar and, and say, Lord, you, you know what this place means to me. You know, you know what I've watched you do in my life in this room. And I like coming in here and remembering that. I, I, I like coming in here and pointing that out. But God, I lay that down for the name of the Lord. You know, I was thinking the other day, I'm, I'm not looking for them anytime soon, but you know, I'll never get to bring my grandchildren into this building and say, this is where your granddaddy became a pastor. I'll never get to walk in this room again and remember visually, physically, that day that, that my family, we were standing, this was back before Scott took so much of this area. Because um, I think I was standing, I think I was standing back here somewhere. Does this make you comfortable that I'm standing right here? Probably not. But I think I was standing about right here and my, my family was lined up and we were standing right here when they announced that, that this church had voted me to be their pastor. And I remember one of my sons went, yeah! <laughs> you know, that's a precious memory in my life. And after today, I'll never walk in here again and get to look at that spot and remember that. 
But you know what? In the name of the Lord, I'm going to leave it right here. For the name of the Lord. I wonder if maybe more of us, maybe just to take a second, come down here and say, you know, Lord, you know what this place means. I can't even begin to catalog all of it. But God, my memories, my family, I just lay that down right here for the name of the Lord. Just take a second to say that. And as you turn and go back to your seat, you say, for the name of the Lord. You know, it's not weakness to come down here. It's not confession. You're not confessing. Boy, I've got a real problem with this. I don't see this. There was nothing wrong with the people there. It hurt. Faith doesn't mean it never hurts. Faith doesn't mean it's not sad. Faith just means, I'll leave it here. For the name of the Lord. You can do that there in your seat kind of as we together appropriately close the chapter on this location being a part of who we are. If you'd like, you can come forward to the altar. Take a second, just say it for the name of the Lord and maybe return back to your seat so that we together as we leave here today as a family, we have the same resolve Paul had. No matter what, if it brings more people into worshiping His glory, if it brings more people under His rule and reign, I'll take it on. For the name of the Lord, you come. Jesus, we come and lay these things down because we love you. We're willing to come and lay this down because we do want you to be glorified. We do want your worship to grow. God, we come and lay this down because we want to see your rule and reign advance in our lives, advance in our church and throughout our community and our world. Oh, God, you've done so many special things in this room and throughout this property. And, God, we pause here to say thank you. It means so much to us, God, and it's a part of your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, help us to realize, though, we follow you, not your blessings. We follow you, not our memories. And God, as we rise up from this altar... As individuals, as a family, as a church, would you give us the resolve to follow your call, no matter the cost? God, you have made your call clear, and you have shown your faithfulness abundantly. God, we are a people who have no reason not to trust. We have no reason not to follow. So may we be committed. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray this. Amen. Amen.